wouldn't it be great if your knowledge could help as many people as possible and that they could pay what it's worth and so that you could you could sort of receive this this the benefits of this broad-based knowledge that you possess i'm janet ahmed host of hacks and hobbies podcast and a digital presence advisor at humblezone this episode is brought to you by home studio mastery i launched a consultation and course program to help podcasters and course creators to create a space in their homes They'll reduce the friction of creating content and appearing their best when showing up on camera. The pandemic gave us a lot of issues, but this one is here to stay. We're now so much closer to our audience thanks to video becoming more popular and affordable. I help guide folks who want to create Hollywood-worthy studios to not only capture great content, but also build more confidence, more authority, and be more comfortable in front of the camera. If I can do it, you can too. And with my help, you can do it faster. So if you'd like to learn more, visit homestudiomastery.com and how you too can create a home studio that brings out your personality, professionalism, and possibilities. Thank you for tuning in to Hacks and Hobbies with your host, Junaid. We're visited by our amazing guests coming from all walks of life. We want to learn their story, their struggles, and their journey on how they got to where they are today. So stick around. Today, I get to speak with Noah Healy. He's a market designer and game theorist working on better economic systems. After training in nuclear engineering, he worked with tech startups at the peak of the dot-com boom. Becoming fascinated by the mathematics of information and computation led to patent work on a better commodity, market design. It was so much fun talking with Noah on this episode and I can't wait for you to listen to his origin story and how he got started. Let's jump right into this episode. Noah, thank you so much for jumping on and being a guest on the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. Fantastic. So, Noah, we met through a really amazing podcasting uh, networking application, podmatch.com, which is a really powerful platform. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started into being the recreate you know being in the space that you are today sure well i i describe myself as a recreational mathematician algorithm developer marketplace design consultant that's the order it happened in <laughs> recreational math was the first step for me uh, i've always had a facility for computation found mathematics enjoyable in my childhood it was mostly reading I was I was fascinated both by sort of the hard science fiction sort of, of the Silver Age, fifties mm. and sixties, and sort of the concepts of mathematics. But instruction doesn't really give you an insight into how to do those things. So you learn arithmetic. Once you've learned arithmetic, you can just do arithmetic problems. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's no there's no sort of extra mystery there. And it turns out that the key is 
asking interesting new kinds of questions, uh, which which I had never really, you know, that that hadn't been given to me. Mm-hmm. But learning new mathematical tools was sort of endlessly fascinating, and so that was that was a thing that I I was doing. Once I got out of school and and college, I needed to get a job and dot-coms were hiring uh, because mm-hmm. it was the 2000s. So yeah. I, I jumped into that and learned an entirely new kind of mathematics around algorithms. Discovered that I was at least as good at that as I'd been at geometry and, and arithmetic mm-hmm. and that stuff. So jumped in, read the papers, but because that's an evolving field, I think, it became clear both that there was work to be done that that I could at least, you know, put some effort toward, if ne- mm-hmm. not necessarily always make progress, but also some very fascinating reading um, that, that would sort of be current. Uh, you know, like if you're learning geometry, you read Euclid mm-hmm. and, you know, that's that's kind of that's kind of the the main text so close to a decade ago now i had enough money in the bank i decided to sort of take a sabbatical from regular work and take some time to just dive in to to some of these algorithmic questions and while working on a problem of information communication on networks, I found this approach through game theory to construct Mm. marketplaces. And once I analyzed that outcome, that's when I realized that I really had something of of great value. Mm. And so started putting the pieces together of how to actually go on an entrepreneurial journey turn it into a real tool that we use on a regular basis. Man, that's that's really fascinating. So you started with recreational mathematics and now why did they call why did you call it mathematic and arithmetic? Like you use two different terminology. Well what's the main difference if most people don't know. Yes. So the math, you know, the English call it maths. Um, because there's so many different topics. And, mm. and one of the things that's really happened in in the history of scientific and, and sort of philosophical advancement of the human species is discovering that different kinds of math are really the same thing. So Descartes, for example, came up with the Cartesian plane, which connects Euclidean geometry in a very direct way mm. to algebra and and the the arithmetic of of numbers and pedagogy particularly in the united states uh was sort of set up for the space race and training people to be rocket scientists and so you do arithmetic and then geometry and then trigonometry and then algebra pre-calculus calculus and now you know calculus you can be a rocket scientist wow and those subjects are 
are distinct sets of tools, but again, because of the, the deep underlying connection that reason, algorithms, and so on have, mm-hmm. there's all, all kinds of fascinating and, and frankly shocking connections between these things. Yeah. Uh, and so as a child sort of being presented these things, they were presented as these isolated silos. And you didn't really see how your times tables would wind up relating to algebra or calculus or geometry or combinatorics or some of these other subjects that came up. Mm-hmm. And so when the when you find those little tidbits, they were like really fascinating. But then once once I'd sort of grown up and done enough reading to discover the the 20th century mathematics and that sort of these connections are the point and that what makes mathematical tools so valuable to acquire Mm -hmm. is that is that deep connection so sort of whatever real situation you're actually in all of these tools are useful in that situation you just may not be aware of how to make it work out that way and so that within within Euclidean geometry, you can do calculus, you can do combinatorics, you can do computation, you can do arithmetic. Uh, Within arithmetic, you can do Euclidean geometry and other forms of geometry uh, and calculus and everything else and so on. That, if you're familiar with the the computer concept of a compiler, Mm -hmm. that's a program that turns uh, one bit of one bit of formalism into another bit of formalism that means exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that compiler concept is is actually quite simple. And so within mathematics, you can effectively form a compiler in one discipline that will turn things within that discipline or things within other disciplines into things within that discipline or things within other disciplines. And those transformations wow. create insights that can be very valuable. Hmm. Wow. So this is mind blowing for me because growing up, you know, I studied mathematics and, you know, arithmetic and addition, subtraction, all that stuff. But I didn't make the connection because ultimately they're all connected. Well, that it's it is hard to make that connection. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't make that connection. I read it. Um, okay. You know, serious geniuses whose mm. names are carved upon history made those <laughs> connections, and we get to read about them. We get to read about them. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that really stood up for me was pedagogy of American or the Western education was all designed to create rocket scientists. Pretty much, yeah. Um, <laughs> so when when Sputnik went up, uh, if you've ever read Tom Wolfe's The Right Stuff, uh, he's a little mm-hmm. hyperbolic at times, but he, he he handles the facts fairly decently. Mm-hmm. When Sputnik went up, there was a a radical, you know, sort of crisis in in the American political scene, and one of the core questions was sort of you know how could how could the Soviets be beating us? And, and 
as usual with Americans, we decided that it, that our kids were just dumb, and that was the problem. And so, <laughs> so if we had dumb kids that you know mm-hmm. couldn't build rocket ships, because obviously children build rocket ships, that's how it works. Yeah, um, <laughs> they do. I mean, <laughs> that that <laughs> right? It's not like it's not like adults do these things. It can't right. be our mm-hmm. fault as adults. It's, it's children. <laughs> That that we were going to have to start teaching these kids how to build rocket ships, um, mm-hmm. and there's a very you know they made a movie about him, Homer Hickam. Um, he won. He he got fascinated by rockets, and he and his friends in West Virginia mm-hmm. built rockets and wound up going to the National Science Fair and then winning at the National Science Fair because rockets were very topical and they did yeah. a good job at it. But in particular, the Kennedy administration um, put together. Uh, some groups that that decided to figure out how we should be teaching our children, and and they were groups of rocket scientists mm-hmm. who decided that you know the world needs more rocket scientists, and mm-hmm. and therefore we need to figure out how to lay out a course of action to get kids to learn calculus, and that was that was the pl- pattern. Wow! So this started. Back in that, the 50s, right? Sputnik went up in 57 or yes, something? Yes, yeah, late 50s, early 60s, um, I think, is when, the, is when the recommendation was made and, uh, and then, you know, started filtering down through the Department of Education. I, I started in school in 1980, and mm. by then, things were pretty set up um, that that's how things were going. I have... yeah five younger siblings some of them consider younger than me and mm-hmm. stats is starting to become a thing um that gets taught some but the the sort of basic spine of of creation where you you know algebra then geometry then more algebra then trigonometry then yeah, calculus yeah. that's that's the cycle and maybe you can take something on the side of it you know maybe you can do something with computers but like mm. get back to calculus you got to be <laughs> we got to we got to build that moon rocket. Yeah, that's really fascinating because I do remember taking calculus and I started around the same time you did for school, right? Wow, that's pretty fun. Okay, I love that. I love that origin story because it really, you know, solidifies your passion for it, right? You, you've been passionate about it. You went into creating new things around it. And what was really fascinating was... Um, <clears throat> the algorithmic, like designing marketplaces using game theory, right? That's something that's really needed, especially with the metaverse on the verge of, you know, evolving more and more. And, and what, what we've, we've seen a lot of different market types of marketplaces for the past couple of decades, especially with uh, gaming set up with, the Xbox, and there's so many different games on that platform, and then Sony coming up, and now we have one of the largest gaming network, which is the Apple iOS devices, right? It's it's just fascinating how many games there are available on a daily basis. It It's true, and that's one of the things these, you know, MMOs, multi, massive multiplayer online games, the economics becomes a part of those things um, mm. as sort of a natural sort of automatic 
uh, system and yeah. the gaming companies have different responses to them some quite evil sadly of course in in many cases uh they they try to actively discourage it so oh, interesting th- this was a very common early response so for example diablo 2 was mm-hmm. was a a initial massive online game and one of the things that could happen within diablo 2 is that you could find these incredibly rare incredibly valuable items blizzard who ran diablo 2 was running servers that people were doing this on and Mm. they didn't want those items to be valuable in the real world because then they could conceivably be on the hook for responsibility so Mm -hmm. if they have a server crash and it wipes out you know your character history that's on them that's bad they don't like doing that it's a bad customer experience they're gonna have to do something to to you know cope with your microphone yeah there you go okay however if the market has spoken and you know you have three items that are each worth four hundred thousand dollars and they have mm-hmm. a server crash and wipe out your character history, then suddenly you can sue them for $1.2 million <laughs> because, oh. because they wiped out $1.2 million of value. Of your, of your value. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I own those things. Yeah. And so they're like, no, nobody owns anything. These are just bits on a board. It's cool that you like them. We're happy that you like them, but we don't want to do anything with any of this stuff. Mm. But when you get to more interactive games suddenly that becomes a thing you know i could go out and grind and find 400 wolf pelts or i could you know get together with some friends and kill a dragon and trade its liver for 400 wolf pelts and maybe that's a lot more fun for me or something and suddenly you have an economy out of nowhere Mm. and those those systems can also get quite ridiculous um there was a instance at a game called Eve Online, where they were transporting this stuff that was actually worth real money within the game, and a pirate raid occurred. Of course. And that's completely legitimate within the game. One of the things pirates can do within the game is blow up a freighter. And mm. if they blow a freighter up, it's like a coin flip whether the goods survive or don't survive. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot easier to blow up freighters than it is sort of not to. And so that was the plan by the, the pirates. They were like, okay, we know that these guys are transporting enormous amounts of money. We're not going to get anything if they actually succeed. So we'll just blow the freighter up. And if we win the coin flip, then we'll have like half a million dollars. Well, mm-hmm. the, the, the coin flipped the other direction and a million dollars in real cash valuable objects vanished and it that just was vanished. yeah yeah it was oh, like interesting. you know they just erased it because that was it blew up because okay. it blew up that's what happened what do you want from me <laughs> and <laughs> and that happened like that was just that was it's there's nothing about the game it's not mm-hmm. like the designers were like oh cool we're gonna make this happen it was just like yeah we set this thing up you guys are allowed to do whatever you want to do we aren't interfering with what you want to do go for it and and they went for it and they were like okay well thanks for that million dollars that you guys paid for this stuff we get to keep it <laughs> that's ours no matter what 
<laughs> and and you need this stuff. So mm-hmm. somebody's going to have to pay another million dollars to get yeah, that stuff back. To get the stuff. And and this is how the world works. I mean, you know, protect your stuff yeah. better next time, I guess. No, that's that's really fascinating. And and you know, it shows that human behavior, no matter where you put human beings, they're going to act the same way, you know, right. be it be in one country, another country, an island, online, virtually, human behavior is not going to go away. Well, that's that's the central thesis of, of game theory, is that you can abstract out interactions and strategies mm-hmm. down to uh, essentially interests and incentives. And so the behavior gets dictated by the strategic situations we find ourselves in and people sort of behave like people wherever uh, and so this actually points up some intriguing facts that come out of game theory is that uh, certain strategic situations create complex behaviors like altruism and so on as as effectively a self-interested behavior uh, within them, uh, which creates a interesting alternative view. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the challenges in genetic biology is working out where complex behaviors uh, that that don't seem to conform to Darwinian, you know, competition survival could come from and several people have done some nobel laureate award award-winning work mm-hmm. on what is sort of non-cash economics where situations themselves are set up in ways that encourage cooperation altruism and other things and some of those situations are simple enough that they occur in nature and so mm-hmm. under those circumstances adopting and adapting towards cooperation and and altruism and and other other even more complicated behaviors become mm-hmm. something that's that's a reasonable goal state uh, and then when you take creatures like us who are actually very good at communication and cooperation mm-hmm. out of you know the sample of species on this planet uh, and put us in novel situations, then you can get some very complicated outcomes as a result of that. Wow, that's that's quite fascinating. And that's where you delved into game theory because... Yeah, yeah. Using that as an approach for communication became something that looked like it, it ought to work, sort of an intuitive matchup of what if instead of just agents sending signals, which mm-hmm. might be, you know, somebody calling you on the phone or might be, you know, thermometer that's outside the house that's, you know, transmitting the exterior temperature or whatever. Mm-hmm. What if you structured a incentive matrix that made those things want to bring signals that were of value and then Mm. you iteratively adjusted that matrix to measure how much value the signals had Mm. 
and reward the, the more valuable and punish the less valuable mm-hmm. uh, in order to curate a high value, high truth consensus picture of some real thing that you were actually interested in. And so then once I had that in hand, the second piece was how to sort of turn it back upon itself. In, in computer science, we call this recursion. Mm-hmm. Um, create a system where rather than one person's interest in having some particular coherent thing in place was turned into a group interest in having coherent information that the group could pay for on an individualized basis, depending on how much value you received from the coherency and was paying based on how much individual contribution to the conspiracy, the, to the coherency that, the coherency, that an individual yeah. made. So by being able to measure both value received and value offered, we would be able to distribute the the costs and and rewards in in a way that makes it worth your time, trouble, cash, mm-hmm. and effort to make the system operate cleanly mm-hmm. uh, and then benefit from a cleanly operating system. So how does this tie up with the the new universe, the new universe, the new technology that's been around, well, I don't know if it's new, but the distributed ledger technology that's been around for about a decade and a half, maybe. So like how does does it work cleanly with it? Yeah, it's effectively independent of that. Mm-hmm. So you can do you can do this on that kind of ledger technology. And I'm As working well. with some okay. people that are trying to launch systems like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can do it off that kind of ledger technology. Right. And I'm working with people that are trying to launch systems like that as well. Okay. What the ledger people are essentially coping with is the problem of centralized chicanery. This this issue of right now, you know, you trust your bank or your credit card company to to handle money for you. But what if you didn't have to trust mm-hmm. them? Yep. There was some sort of distributed mechanism that could provide that uh, without the overhead. Yeah. Uh, but reputation is still a sound mechanism. Uh, and yeah. and we have many, many human institutions from churches to governments and so on that are that are fundamentally reputation based in many small businesses you know, you, you build your name, you trade on that name and so on. Yeah. So reputation isn't necessarily going away as, as a, as a mechanism to, to enable a centralized trust network. Um, okay. it, but to the extent that uh, you can dispense with it, there could be a savings. Yeah. Yeah. That, that totally makes sense. I've been trying to keep up with you because you have a higher <laughs> no. So I'm like, half the stuff is it's not going over my head mainly because I do keep up with my tech readings and you know I do know it's a little bit you know I've, I've gone through that tech path myself being you know um, taking taking to effect the programming and, and whatnot. But it's it's really cool to see 
an actual application and, and you know something when you evolve and you create solving an issue so you're working on something really cool a patent pending system that supersedes commodity markets if you want to share a little bit more about it uh, be happy to yeah yeah there. sure so the the core idea is recognizing that there are three separate inputs required for a deal to occur the good or service being provided the cash required mm -hmm. to to balance the deal and the information required to negotiate set or determine mm -hmm. the price at which this deal should occur and for kind of social stability and economic uh, optimization, what we would like to have is competition in each of these three things. Mm. And if you think about this from sort of a personal point of view, wouldn't it be great if every time you wanted to sell something, everyone on earth was competing to find you the best price mm. and then turn their cash over to you once that best price has been found? Yeah. Um, or you know, contrarily, if you were buying something, wouldn't it be great if everyone is competing to find the lowest price that you could get and breaking their arms trying to get their product into your hand? The thing that's different from what has gone before is that third piece of where people have knowledge about where markets are heading, which is largely opinion, but can mm -hmm. be correct. Uh, yeah wouldn't it be great if your knowledge could help as many people as possible and that they could pay what it's worth mm -hmm. and so that you could you could sort of receive this this the benefits of this broad-based knowledge that you possess mm -hmm. um, and so what my system does is sets up what are effectively independent markets in each of these three things within the market people compete with each other to mm -hmm. to provide as much of that as possible and then these three things are effectively bound together through a sequence of algorithms that allows the measurement and distribution of contribution and consequence so you're really bringing all of the stuff that you've learned over the past few years, past couple of decades even, and building this smart system. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, again, that's the, the amazing thing about mathematics is that it, it never goes stale and, yeah. <laughs> and it's just always useful. So it's, you know, if, if you if you sort of immerse yourself in pop culture or pick up uh, some cool phrases or something yeah. um, in a couple of years, maybe nobody knows what you're talking about. And I remember I was talking to a guy uh, a couple months ago, mm -hmm. I was pointing out to him that at no point in human existence did most people speak the same language. Yeah. So if you learn a language, most of the people who are alive aren't going to speak it with you and certainly most of the people who you know with historical access most written works won't be in the language that you learn 
but mathematics, every time you learn something that that's a part of math and works, everyone else's everyone else who's ever exposed to that's going to learn the same thing. Yeah. And every piece of math you ever encounter is going to relate back and and be helped out by that particular thing. Oh, so it's really a stacking of knowledge bases throughout time and literally the the terminology on shoulders of giants can absolutely be yes yeah and and going back to that newton um mm -hmm. you know newton and leibniz both worked out the calculus at roughly the same time but one of the major projects of I guess 17th century mathematics was developing a calculus that the rest of us could actually use. Mm. Uh, and then one of the major projects of 18th century mathematics was coping with a, a niggling little problem at the very core of calculus and, and really trying to get a firm grasp and handle on what continuity meant and didn't mean and so on. Mm. Um, and that opened up an entire vista in infinite processes and functional transformation that you can see very directly relates to the kind of infinite processes yeah. and direct translation that our computers engage in. So like this system that we're using, we're going to turn it off, but it's exactly it's, it's not really supposed to be turning itself off. It's just going to go. <laughs> exactly. Man, we have we've had some really awesome conversation. I am I'm blown away. I mean, I can't even remember. I can't remember the last time I got so we got to I mean, we didn't go that deep. <laughs> But there was some depth in the conversation that we just had. Really fascinating, uh, you know, all the best on launching your, all the best on getting the patent for your system because once that's settled, then you can just really go all out and market what you can do and the systems that you can create for, for people. And I think uh, jumping on top of Web 3.0 and building this into that community base because there's a lot of community involved when you're creating systems like this. I mean, there's communities of wow people that are talking to each other, not only through gaming, but also on other boards because guess what? They get to do the stuff they, that they love to do, but also, you know, really bring a kind of a, like a life into something brand new. Quite true. Yes. Again, you know, that sort of people being people thing, the people want to build community, want to have those sorts of, of connections yeah. around what they love and what they do. And so hobbies, economics, politics, all of these things sort of bleed into each other constantly. Yeah, definitely they do. All right. So Share with the audience three hacks to take away so they can apply it to their lives. Well, so I guess my first one would be read, you know, learn things. Uh, you don't have to learn mathematics, although I mm -hmm. would strongly recommend that one. It's, it's great. Uh, it's a lot of fun. People don't believe that, but, you know, try it out. It, it yeah. really is. That's 
that that that's pretty good. Yeah. I guess number two, curiosity. Um, mm-hmm. Hand in glove with reading and and learning stuff. When the the situations that we're in today are are sort of accumulated over centuries and we're at a real turning point in the technological capabilities that we have with global communication yeah computer assistance all these things not merely didn't exist but wouldn't really be conceivable to to the people that created the systems that we actually are today because because of what we know with mathematics right right and what we've built out of those things that we know right so dig back into i guess the 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 things that make your day-to-day life up get curious about your routine Mm. and see if there's a threat you know and if if you can't see it you can't see it probably no harm done Um, yeah but look around and if if you find this thread and you can tug on it and find something that that you know fixes it or makes it better it's it's really that's that's fantastic yeah um and uh and the third one um once if you've done these things once you're sure of your ground open up your mouth and talk about it it's you know it's it's a process. It's definitely, it's definitely scary to to step outside your comfort zone. Oh yeah, but people don't bite for the most part, and they they're interesting and interested uh, once you have something to present. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been again for for quite a few years now. Uh, we had we used to have local conferences before COVID. And I wasn't necessarily talking on this topic. I was talking mm-hmm. on other computational topics mostly. Uh, but it's it's not that hard to to, to talk to people. Uh, and so give it a shot and let's see let's see what problems we can fix. Nice. I love that. So guys, go find something to read about, something that you're passionate about. It could be mathematics, it could be anything at all. You know, number two, be curious and find the thread in your day-to-day things because you might find something where you can find a solution and make may, maybe even make it more efficient. And guess what's going to happen when you find that efficient way? You're going to start talking about it, and that's number three. Talk about what you found and what you're passionate about. So really, really awesome. Thank you so much. I've got six really quick questions that we're going to jump through real quickly all right number one what is the one hobby that you wish you got into i'm pretty content with the way i actually am um i could definitely be more physically fit unfortunately my joints don't really they all wobble um Mm -hmm. but uh but you know maybe i could have i could have been more assiduous about about that and and stayed on a, a better exercise path sure absolutely two what did you want to be when you were a child that's an odd 
thing about me, I guess. I never sort of wanted to be something when I was mm -hmm. a kid. Again, I'm very content. I was perfectly happy being a child. And, and a lot of my path has been happenstance uh, rather than planning. So gotcha. I, I don't know that I would recommend that for people in general, <laughs> um, but I personally have been very lucky with that. Uh, and I think that with the, the sort of shifting in society of technology, yeah. um, finding your opportunities as they come rather than planning for a future which might not be capable of arriving um, yeah. is, is something that's worth at least considering. Nice. Let's keep it really court. <laughs> the answer short because I got to sure. run. My wife's like, I left the kid. I'm going upstairs. Can you come watch him? All right. <laughs> Next question. What is your favorite movie or TV show? Star Wars. So saw the opening run at two in the theaters. Burned into my brain. Nice. Number Love one. It. <laughs> I should start with that question with every <laughs> podcast because I just got the Lego... The, the the helmet the lego helmets okay star wars helmets okay so you can put like yeah. little darth vader heads on people and stuff yeah mm -hmm. it's pretty cool what movie would you choose if you got to play a character in it <sighs> chariots of fire chariots of fire yeah nice. Yeah, that movie just brings joy. And the characters, it, it, so many of them have such incredible journeys. I love it. Uh, next question, who is your favorite superhero? Um, I'll go with Plastic Man. Plastic Man, oh my God, <laughs> he's awesome. Yes, um, he's funny and he is awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wonder if he was on. If, if, if I wonder if he was in Arrowverse uh, in the recent years or in the Flash. I think I think they did. I think they did use a character with that with that name. With ability, but I don't think they, they called ability. him Plastic Man. But yeah, they might not have been him. Yeah, because he was quite funny, indeed. Yeah, yeah, there was there was a cartoon when I was a kid for mm -hmm. a very brief moment in time uh, that had I Plastic think, Man. I on think it. they're bringing him back. I think they're bringing him back. I saw something online somewhere about it. All right, last question: If you were a board game, what would it be? <sighs> well, I would hope for something like Go. I think. All right, recall. I'll go, I'll have to look up this new board game called Go. It's, I'm sure it's pretty awesome. Well, Go is is uh, the oldest board game in the world. Actually, it's a oh, wow. Chinese game of territorial control. Uh, it involves pieces being placed on a board okay. that's 19 by 19, um, and only just recently. AI techniques actually allowed computers to go from being much, much worse than human beings at the game to much, much better at human beings at the game. Of course, but it's, they're, they're constantly learning. Yes. 
Fantastic. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much, Noah, for your time and energy and sharing your knowledge with us. This has been a fun conversation. Where can my audience find you? Uh, well, I have a website at cordisc.com, C-O-R-D-I-S-C. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Noah Healy. Uh, I'm the oldest Noah Healy in the world, according to Google. So most Noah Healy's <laughs> on mine are me. Uh, and I have an email, uh, Noah P. Healy at yahoo.com. Uh, drop me a line. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Noah, for your time. Let's chat soon and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Great. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. We had a really awesome conversation with Noah Haley. If you have any questions, please check the show notes for links, and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Hacks and Hobbies. You can find additional information on the guest today on their website, hacksandhobbies.com. Please feel free to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on upcoming interviews with amazing guests.